Good morning. If you uh, are under the impression that every church always has enough people to work in the children's programs, then you didn't pay attention to that group of kids that just ran out of here. So uh, we are always needing help in our kids' uh, groups. Seriously, we will have, on any given Sunday, we will have upwards of 200 kids from fifth grade down here. And uh, from, from time to time, we need help uh, with teachers, with crowd control, with just uh, taking kids in groups to the bathrooms. If that's you, go see Scott or Olivia today and uh, volunteer, and, and uh, you'd be blessed for doing it. We've got some wonderful kids here at, at Nineveh. Uh, if you've got your Bibles today, turn to the book of Luke. Turn to the New Testament Gospel of Luke. We're going to take a break for a couple of weeks from uh, Acts, where Terry is preaching, and go just a couple books backward in the New Testament, uh, in Luke chapter 15. Terry and Janet left early this morning for a, a vacation, and we're excited for them. We hope they have a, uh, a great trip, a relaxful uh, time, and uh, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. So as we start today, I want to just basically, uh, I want to read the whole chapter. We're not going to talk about the entire chapter today, but we're going to unpack it for the next few weeks. And as we do, I want us to see the entire chapter uh, to, to see what we're dealing with here in Luke chapter 15. So follow along, and it'll be on the screen here as well. Luke chapter 15, starting with verse 1. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided property, his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his fingers and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. 
Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. In the years that I have read and studied the Word of God, I am not so sure that I have found one chapter that presents the Gospel message of Jesus Christ in quite the way that Luke chapter 15 does. One teacher that I read says that if all of Jesus' teaching in all the Gospels, all that Jesus taught, was likened to a lake, that the chapter of Luke 15 is one of those clear spots in the lake where you can see all the way to the bottom. It's a clear and simple picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe Luke chapter 15 doesn't contain a whole lot of brand new truths or revelations that we've never thought of. But that doesn't mean that it's not filled today with truths that each of us need to be reminded of. And I believe that the message at the heart of the 15th chapter of Luke is a message of which today's modern church is in desperate need. Over the next three weeks, we're going to take a look, a deep to the bottom of the lake look at Luke chapter 15 and the three parables that it tells within it. We're going to get to know this passage well. And well we should because the lessons we will find here are ones that can change, that can drastically change the lives of both the sinner and the saint. So let's dive in this morning. If you've got your bulletins, we've got some good old fill in the blanks uh, for you today. I know Terry's been doing that lately. He's stealing my thing. Um, but it's all right. We'll still do it. Um, let's start with this. Let's start by looking at the audience Jesus is preaching to here. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus is, is preaching to and interacting with two different audiences. And it's going to be interesting to remember this. The first audience is the tax collectors and the sinners. It was in verse 1 where we saw this. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering to hear Jesus. These were the the people that the Pharisees were eventually pretty upset with that Jesus was spending time with. These were uh, the tax collectors were Jews who had turned their back on their Jewish brothers and sisters so that they could make a profit under the, the head of the Roman government, basically. And these sinners probably included beggars and prostitutes and all kinds of thieves and just the, everybody else that you're just going to lump up and call sinners. But number two, he had another audience here that was important to what Jesus says. The second audience is the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Not only is Jesus keeping company with these sinners, but there's a group of people here who are not too happy about it. Look at verse 2. It says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, both these audiences are present here, but it's for the last audience, for those Pharisees and teachers of the law that Jesus really seems to tell these parables in Luke chapter 15. These guys didn't get it. And the, and, and the interesting thing is, they had reason of all people to get it. You know why? Because they studied 
Old Testament law. That's what they did with their lives. They gave their lives to study God's Word, and yet, they were missing the the foundational principles within it. In another place in His ministry, Jesus calls these guys out. In Matthew 23, verse 13, here's what He has to say about about these same people. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. What did they say that day? We can't believe Jesus is is hanging out with sinners. And Jesus is here because Jesus knows that His ministry, His work is for sinners. For those who do not know the Father. And yet they, the Pharisees and teachers of the law, are closing the door before the sinners have the chance to enter in. And Jesus says, you're not getting in either. In in Luke chapter 15, because of the audiences that are there with Him that day, Jesus tells three different and yet similar parables. We usually call them the lost parables. Uh, The book of Luke records more of Jesus' parables than any of the rest of the Gospels. In fact, of the roughly 33 stories that you and I classify as parables of Jesus, Luke records 24 of them. And 18 of those 24 parables that Luke records are unique to the book of Luke. Matthew, Mark, John, those guys didn't record 18 of those parables. And so in Luke chapter 15, we, we read three of these parables recorded by Luke that are told by Jesus during His ministry. And we're going to study those three parables for the next three weeks. We first find the parable of the lost sheep in Luke 15, 4-7. Verses 8-10 through of that same chapter are the shortest of the three parables. We usually call it the parable of the lost coin. And finally, the majority of this passage, the majority of Luke chapter 15, deals with what we would call the parable of the lost son, or the parable of what? The prodigal son. We'll get to him later. I want us to look at a few things first, at five different items that are similar in each parable. This is in your notes as well. It says, uh, above the heading, it says, in each parable, and these are things that are commonalities between the three. Between all these three parables that we see, these, we have these things in common. Number one, something has been lost. Something has been lost. In each one of these parables, that's why we call them the parable of the lost sheep, coin, son. Look at verse 4 of Luke chapter 15. Jesus says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the sheep until he finds it? And then in verse 8, he supposes something else. He says, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she... Light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. So this is where all three of these parables start. Something is lost. But let's look at the items in this story. The next note is this. The item finds its value in belonging. The item finds its value in belonging. In other words... The item was only valuable because it belonged to the shepherd. Or because it belonged to the woman. Or to the father. But what about when they didn't belong anymore? That's what we see in these parables. Apart from the shepherd, that one lost sheep would eventually succumb to the elements or to another animal out in the wild and would die. Apart from the woman... The lost coin would remain hidden in her house and would have no value apart from her possession of it. Apart from the father, the prodigal son squandered his inheritance and belittled his value by spending his money on wild living and he ended up slopping 
pigs. They found their value in belonging to the shepherd, to the woman, to the father. Number three, this item that has in common in each parable, the item was lost apart from its owner. The item was lost apart from its owner. This is a couple ways of saying the same thing. But church, I've got to get this point to you today. Because you know what? A lot of times you and I do the same things as the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And we assume we know so well these foundational truths of the gospel that, that for the rest of our lives sometimes we just miss them. Here it is today. We are lost apart from God. That's it. We are lost apart from God. Not that you once were lost apart from God, and then you came and got everything fixed, and that's not the case anymore. That's, that's not the truth. The truth is that even today, apart from God, you and I are lost. And yet we think that because we got baptized 20 years ago, because we've heard these things since we were a child, that things about the lost only apply to, to people that don't know Jesus yet. And the truth is, each of us is lost apart from God. Church, I want to take a break for just a second to drive this in. God values the lost. Our, our Heavenly Father values the lost who don't know Him. Does the church value the lost? Is that the church's priority? Do you value the lost? Or was it enough that you were lost one day and finally Jesus washed you up and cleaned you up and now we don't have to worry about all those lost people? That's not how it works. That's not found in the Word of God. God values the lost. And if we're to be His church, if we're to be His bride, then, then our heart's got to be where His heart is. And guess what? All these parables paint one picture of a God who rejoices in heaven more over one lost sheep that comes back than over all the 99 of us who have been in the pen all this time. Our heart has got to return to the lost. Here's how you know whether or not you value the lost. How much of your life is spent with people that don't know Jesus? My dad about camp stuff used to, used to talk to churches uh, every year. He still does. They've been at Camp Calvary for 30 years. And he always said this, and as a kid, it stuck in my head. He said, your kids will know what's important to you based on what you spend your time doing. Your kids will know what's important to you based on what you spend your time doing. So let's use that criteria. How important are lost people to you? And if you say, oh, they're of the utmost importance, but you don't spend any time with them, then you're lying. You're deceiving yourself. If you'll remember, that's where this whole problem began. That's where these whole parables in Luke chapter 15 began. Look at verse 2 again. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered to themselves. They're talking in a, in a huddle apart from Jesus and they said, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They were outraged because the Son of God was eating with lost people. You see, Jesus did not spend time with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners just so that He could tick off the Pharisees. He did so to reveal the Father's heart for the lost. In Romans 5 and verse 8, you read it during communion time today, this is the Gospel. This is the bottom of the lake. You can see all the way to the bottom. This is it. God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still, what church? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
because his heart was there for us, for the lost, and it still is. Let's go on. Two more things that we see in these three parables. In each of these parables, the value of the lost item increases. The value of the lost item increases. And go ahead and fill out the last one too. In each of these parables, the percentage of loss increases. Here's what I mean. In each of these, each of these stories, the value is getting greater. It goes from a sheep out in the field, taken care of by the shepherd, to a valuable precious coin, to finally the father's youngest son. But also, the percentage of loss increases every time. Let's do some real quick math. Are you ready for this? I know you are. Should have got more coffee today. Um, one out of 100 sheep is what percent? I can't hear a word you all are saying. Uh, that's what I, I thought surely somebody would get it, right? 1%. Okay? So this sheep out of 100 is a 1% loss to that shepherd. Let's move on. One out of 10 coins is what percent of loss? 10%. So we're increasing here. It's becoming more of a loss to this woman than it is to the shepherd. And finally, if you don't get this one, we'll talk later. Uh, one in two sons is what percent? You've got a 50% loss in that third parable. The, the loss and its value is increasing as Jesus tells each of these stories. Today we're going to look at the first of those two lost parables in Luke chapter 15. We're going to look at the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. We're going to spend the next two Sundays after that talking about and unpacking the biggest story, which is the father and his two sons. So let's start today with Luke chapter 15, verses 4 through 7. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and comes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. The parable of the lost sheep is the only one of these three parables in Luke chapter 15 that is recorded outside of Luke chapter 15. The book of Matthew also records it. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 12 through 14. It's a short parable. Let's look at it in, as Matthew says it as well. Jesus says, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, Will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. It's very possible that Jesus, in, at some point in his ministry, he preached in a lot of towns and a lot of villages throughout the areas of Judea and Samaria and Galilee, it's very possible that Jesus preached this same parable twice in two different settings. That maybe Luke and Matthew are recording different tellings of it. One thing we see that is different is Jesus, um, instead of just tax collectors and sinners and Pharisees, in the Matthew passage, Jesus seems to have gathered children around Him. That is interesting to me because he's telling the story of the lost sheep. I think it's interesting to me what Jesus is doing by, by talking about a sheep here in this story. I think it's very similar to why he's using these children as an example in Matthew chapter 18. So let's ask that question. Why a lost sheep? Look at the next line in your notes and we're going to start talking about this sheep in this story. The first part is this, the sheep points out our human condition. Why does he use something like a sheep to point 
out this truth. Well, think about sheep. Sheep are weak. Sheep are not quite capable of doing well on their own out in the wilderness without supervision. That's why sheep are either kept in a pen or, or would be under the supervision of the shepherds out in the field or out in the wild. Sheep can't quite do it on their own. Why would Jesus use a sheep to talk about us? Let me ask you this question. How well do you do apart from God? How well do you do running the show and running your life apart from God? You do pretty good? Or do you eventually find yourself in, in trouble just like the sheep did? See, the sheep point out our condition. They point out our human condition, which is this. We're lost apart from the Father. We're lost apart from the shepherd. We cannot do this on our own. Scripture says that every one of us has fallen away. Every one of us has sinned and therefore is separated from the Father. Number two, the sheep had strayed away. The sheep in this story had strayed away. Look at what Isaiah says way back in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. He's talking about Jesus. He's predicting the coming of of the Messiah, and here's what he says. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. And each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord has set on him, he's talking about the, the Messiah, has set on him the iniquity of us all. This sheep in this story had strayed away. In Luke 15, 4, Jesus says, suppose one of you that the shepherd loses one of the sheep. But in Matthew, he puts it this way. In Matthew 18, 12, he says, imagine he has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away. See, both are true. He's lost in both circumstances. But the Matthew passage tells us a little bit more as to how he got lost. This sheep wanders away from the shepherd. Maybe it was on purpose. Maybe he just didn't want to be with the sheep anymore. Most likely, he just got distracted. Most likely, he, he got to eating and he wasn't paying attention to everybody else and he continued off and he saw some better grass over here and he wandered off and eventually he finds himself lost. He finds himself separated from the shepherd. Next line is this. The sheep was vulnerable after being separated from the flock. The sheep was vulnerable after being separated from the flock. You see, the sheep had probably gotten distracted or stayed behind eating when all the other sheep traveled on ahead with the shepherd. And by the time he was alone, the sheep wasn't just in danger because the shepherd was gone. He was in danger because he had been more protected with the flock around him. Also, it's worth noting that the shepherd in this instant would not have just left the 99 alone and unprotected to go and get the other sheep. See, some people over the years have looked at this guy and said he was irresponsible because he left 99% uh, loss risk with uh, just by themselves to go get this one that had strayed away. As if he just left the whole flock unprotected. You see, a man in that day who was wealthy enough to have a hundred sheep would surely have had more shepherds, more than one shepherd to watch so many sheep. And so the other shepherds would just take the 99 sheep and take them to an open, protected place, take them to a, a place where there was pasture or maybe even a pen for a little while where they would be safe until the shepherd brings back the other sheep. You see, the sheep were more protected among the rest of the flock. You know how it is in nature. Imagine a wolf that comes out to eat a sheep. What's more uh, what would you rather be? One sheep by himself with a wolf in the field? Or one sheep with 99 other sheep there with you? You see, you and I think that it's enough 
to just come to the Father and be saved and we'll be set for the rest of our lives. Church, there's a reason He gives us brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a reason He makes us part of the body. There's a reason we then become part of the flock. Because the enemy, our enemy, Peter says, roars, roams the world like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. And you and I are stronger among the rest of the flock. I know there's a lot of things that will keep us away from the flock. In the summertime, there's a thousand things going on. And sometimes it just isn't on our radar. But sometimes we've got to wind up and realize that the reason we were given a flock of people is not because we got to come, we're supposed to come and hear a message and we're supposed to come and sing the songs in the group and we can't do that by ourselves. It's because we need one another. It's because I need you to be protected. I need you to stay on the right path. You need me. You need other people among the body of Christ, among the flock, in order to stay on the right track. Finally, let's look at this last truth about the sheep. About this parable of the lost sheep. One sheep was enough for the shepherd to go searching. Here's where this parable really gets serious. One sheep was enough for the shepherd to go searching. Some people have read this parable over the years and have thought, how much could one sheep out of a hundred be worth if it meant that that shepherd had to go out and leave all the rest and risk going out into the wilderness alone to find that sheep? They wonder if maybe the shepherd wouldn't have been better off just to leave the sheep and take it as a loss. But that's really the heart of this story. To this shepherd, even a 1% loss was too much. And even one sheep out of a hundred was enough to go searching. Church, that's the Gospel message of Jesus Christ. This is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus came. This is a picture. This picture of a shepherd in Luke chapter 15 is a clear picture of Jesus who incidentally called Himself the Good Shepherd. Look at what He says in John chapter 10, verse 11. Jesus says, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. What's the verse that you and I would say to anybody that wants to know what's the Gospel of Jesus in one verse? It's probably John 3.16. You probably know it. Look at it this morning. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is the Gospel of Jesus. This, this is it. This is the truth that has saved our lives. That God loved the world so much, the entire world so much that he sent His Son Jesus to lay down His life for His sheep. But in Luke chapter 15, in the parable of the lost sheep, Jesus is making it clear that He would have done it if there was just one. That Jesus would have come and lay down His life if it was just one sheep that needed His saving. So think about John 3.16 again in that context. For God so loved the world. Now this time, put in your name. Let's look at it a little different. Let's look at it as if you're the one sheep that He came to save. For God so loved, put in your name in that line right there. For God so loved Will Cooper. For God so loved Linda Young. For God so loved 
Marty Sparrow. For God so loved Chris Price that He gave His life for you. That He that He laid down His life so that you wouldn't perish. So that you would have eternal life. And He would have done it if you were the only one that needed it. Now turn your focus one more time. Now think of somebody else in your life that is lost without the saving power of Jesus Christ. Now think about one person that you know. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe it's an old friend that does not know the truth of Jesus Christ that will save them. Now put their name in that sentence. For God so loved that person. For God so loved your co-worker, your boss. For God so loved your brother, your dad, your mom, your son. For God so loved that one person that doesn't know Him. He loved Him enough to send His Son that His Son would die for Him because God didn't want Him or her to perish. God didn't want her or Him to be apart from Him. He wanted them to have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Now tell me, church, what are you doing to bring that person to Jesus? If God loved that person enough to die for them, and they're still lost, and you're in the flock, and you know this truth, then tell me right now, what are you doing to ensure that that person knows the gospel of Jesus? What are you doing to bring that person back into the fold? Because God died for them. So today, let's take another moment. And I want you to think about who's your one sheep. That shepherd saw one that was lost and went out and, and, and risked his life and limb for that one sheep. Who's the one sheep in your life that needs you to lay down your selfish desires enough to go and get them and rescue them from death? Who's the one sheep in your life that needs you to bring to them the truth of Jesus Christ so that Jesus can save their life? What if that for your life was, was the one thing that Jesus asked of you? To see that that person knows the truth. Are you doing it? Are you extending the gospel of Jesus to the sheep in your life that don't know Him? Before we close today, let's focus on the second parable. I want to look briefly at the shortest of the three parables in Luke chapter 15. This one we call the parable of the lost coin. It's in Luke 15 verses 8 through 10. Jesus says, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This coin in this story held personal value for this woman. Earlier when I mentioned that the value of the items increased as we went along, maybe some of you thought, how is a coin more valuable than a sheep. But this wasn't just any ordinary coin. This woman didn't just lose a, a penny or a piece of change out of her pocket. Instead, the fact that this was one of ten coins, and the fact that it's a woman in the story who's lost them, has led many scholars to believe that these coins were probably a valuable set given to this woman on her wedding. We're not just talking about losing a coin. We're talking about the Jewish equivalent of losing your wedding ring. 
or some valuable family heirloom that was passed down to you from generations ago. Again, the fact that the value of each of these objects is increasing in each parable is Jesus proving a point. He's proving that the lost are valuable to Him. Valuable enough for the woman, in this case, to light a lamp, which by the way, if she's lighting a lamp to find it, probably means that it's what part of the day? It's probably nighttime. And instead of waiting until morning, this woman drops everything, lights a lamp, sweeps the entire house, and searches high and low until she finds this one lost coin. In studying the parables of Jesus, which I love Jesus' parables, by the way. They're some of my favorite things to study. I found that there's usually in each of Jesus' parables one element. Maybe it's a couple, but at least one element in each parable that stands out to the reader as far-fetched or straying from reality. In other words, there's usually one element in each parable where you and I would look and say, that probably wouldn't happen in real life. And that is usually where the truth is that Jesus is trying to get across. So what's the far-fetched aspect of these two parables? What's the unbelievable part of the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin? You see, it's not far-fetched to think that a sheep would wander off. Or that a woman would lose a coin. Some of you lose your, your keys every week before you're coming to church. That's not the far-fetched part. I don't really even think that it's all that far-fetched or unusual to think that the shepherd and that the woman went to such great lengths to search for what was lost. Sure, some people might say that they should have just given up and, and taken the loss, but I think we can all understand valuing something enough that you have to search for it until you find it. I don't think that's where the unusual part is. What really stands apart from reality in my mind in these two parables is this. And it's the next blank in your notes. The shepherd and the woman, when they found what was lost, rejoiced. It's not that crazy to think that somebody would search for something they'd lost. Is it? You and I do it all the time. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, while Emmy and I were at home watching TV in the living room, I lost my wedding ring. I'll tell you why. Because I do not like uh, to keep it on my hand all the time. I'm worried it's going to get stuck. But I lost, so I had it in my hand. I had it as I was watching TV. It was probably on my thumb. And all of a sudden, I hear this jingling sound, and I say, oh no. And I had lost my ring. I knew exactly where it was. Uh, it had dropped down into the side of my recliner. And believe me, buddy, it was lost. <laughs> Emmy and I stopped what we were doing. Uh, whatever we were watching, we turned off the TV. We turned this chair upside down two or three times. We looked under every flap and every mechanism in that chair until eventually, on one of those times turning it over, it got knocked loose and it fell out into the floor. My wedding ring is extremely valuable to me. And especially with my wife in the room, I was going to find it at whatever cost. But you know what Emmy and I did not do? When we found it, we did not throw a party and celebrate. In fact, we said something like, oh, thank goodness, and turned the TV back on. You see, the shepherd and the woman in these stories share something in common. When they finally found what they were looking for, they rejoiced. Look again at verses 5-7 through seven of Luke chapter 15. This is in the parable of the lost sheep. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. 
Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And then look at verses 9 and 10. This is in the coin parable. And when she, the woman, finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. And in the same way, I tell you, there is more, there is rejoicing in heaven in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Next week, we're going to look uh, for a couple of weeks at the biggest story of these three, the, the lost son parable. But as we finish up on these first two, uh, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, it's interesting to me that in these first two parables in Luke chapter 15, there are more words written about the way that the woman and the shepherd rejoiced after finding their lost item than there are words about the item being lost and the item being found. In other words, Jesus tells these two parables and spends more time talking about the party that they threw when the item was recovered. You know what that says to me? That says that Jesus, this is the point and this is the meaning of these first two parables. Think back to where it started. The Pharisees asked Jesus, why in the world are you hanging out with sinners? Why in the world are you, who claim to be the Son of God, spending your time hanging out with prostitutes and tax collectors and thieves? And Jesus, to answer their question, tells them two parables in order to get the point across to those who had lost their way a long, long time ago. Church, here's the point. And it's the last line in your notes. God and heaven rejoice when the lost are found. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. God and heaven rejoice when the lost are found. Except it's not that simple sometimes because you and I have lost our way. Because sometimes the church has forgotten that simple truth. You know how I know? Because if the church believed in God's heart for the lost, the church would be out in the streets every day trying to bring the lost to Jesus. And yet the American church of Jesus Christ seems to be doing a whole lot of other stuff that are not near as important as winning the lost to Christ. We're fighting battles that are not near as important as that one sheep that needs to know Jesus as their Savior. We spend a lot of time talking about here at Nineveh the return of Christ. And you know what? I wait every day on the return of Christ. But do you know why Scripture says He hasn't come yet? Paul says it. Paul says why he hasn't returned yet. Because God wills that no one should perish apart from Him. God does not want any lost sheep to perish without knowing salvation in Jesus Christ. And yet we throw our hands up in the air and just say, come get me Jesus, instead of doing the work that He's called the church to. The work of reaching out to the lost and bringing them in before it's too late. And so if you, like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, have started to focus on everything but what's important, then today, church, it's my prayer that we bring our focus back. That we bring our hearts back to where the Father's heart has always been. The Father's heart is for those who don't know Him. What's evidence of that in Luke chapter 15 is Jesus tells two parables and twice He makes the same comment. 
that heaven and the angels and the Father rejoice more after that one guy who doesn't know him. When he comes in, there's more rejoicing than over 99 lost sinners who don't need to repent. 99 lost people who don't need repentance. The Father's heart is on the lost. God and heaven rejoice when the lost are found. Jesus rejoices when a lost person is saved. That's why Jesus came. At one point, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus uh, the same question about sinners and about why are you spending time with these guys. And Jesus in another passage says, I've come not for the righteous, but for sinners. It's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. The reason Jesus came was for the lost. Jesus rejoices when a lost person is saved. God and heaven rejoice when the lost are found. Do you? I'm going to ask Chad and the band to come out during our time of invitation. Do you? Do you rejoice when the lost are found. Yeah, when we have a baptism here, the church stands up and everybody claps their hands and there's cheering and there's hooping and hollering. But church, what are you doing to rejoice to bring them in now? What are you doing throughout the week? What are you doing to, to see that those people are being told about Jesus? What are you doing for that one person in your life? Who's your one sheep? that needs to know the Gospel message of Jesus. Today, as we have and as we offer this invitation, I offer it first to, to the lost sheep that may be here today. In a crowd this big, there's probably one person that's wandered away from the shepherd. If that's you, He loved you enough to die for you. And He wants you to come to Him today. But if that's not you, and praise God, you've been in the flock for a long time, then church, we've got to get about the business of saving the lost. We've got to be about the business of bringing in those who He died for. Because He saved us when we were lost. Praise the Lamb of God, I'm found. I'm not lost anymore. I'm found. But there is someone that needs the saving love of Jesus Christ. And the invitation is open today as we stand and as we sing.